just show just everything. Just show everything. Everything. And that's, that's what we the did. Keyword. And so people everything. really started getting interested. They're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, people are like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? I'm Jake the Rover. My life goal is simple. WWE star called Mr. America. My name is Leslie Carls. My nickname is The Panda. And I run this ship. Nick, just Nick. Can I get a midday squares? Midday Squares Uncensored, the podcast. You know what it is. We talk about family business, entrepreneurship, chocolate, and whatever fucks are on our mind. Today, we are going to get into how things are going with our US launch. Primarily, we're going to talk about influencer marketing. A lot of chatters going around the internet saying influencer marketing is dead. Let's get into what influencer marketing even fucking is and how it's not even close to being dead. Amen. But before that, we have serious housekeeping to undo. Number one, Jake, you're back in the hood. I know we spoke to you last time, but you're looking finer than you've ever looked. Jack, tan, getting ready for summer. Les, you have sleep apnea. I don't know what's going on. Let's let's fill the audience in on that. We're in a new room. It's bright as fuck. I feel like I'm on the Jupiter sun. Okay, I love it. I'm still not understanding why I can't use my regular. So for everybody that's listening, we have these new mugs that we have to put water in. And I'm I'm not understanding how to drink out of this. I'm just used to good old plastic you know, dirty bottles. And now I have this weird uh, shindick. So don't lie. You like it. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm, I'm going to be honest about that, Jake. It just seems like it's sponsored. It is sponsored by Midday Squares. No, 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 no. It makes no sense. But shout out Howley, who worked really hard on bringing this room together. Uh, shout out Kara, our producer. Jake, for the audience, you I, honestly, you're on turbo speeds with reading. The audience knows you're a huge reader. But I've, you're ripping books like I, I rip fucking bags of chips, okay? So I'm not understanding what's going on. What's the current book and why? Yeah, I'm reading a book a week. I'm committed 45 minutes every morning, like I always say. Uh, super important if you actually want to go through things. Uh, my current book is The Hot Seat um, about Jeff Immelt. Imel, uh, um, he was the former CEO of GE, General Electric, one of the greatest American companies of all time. Shout out to them for getting back into innovation and building things, not just being a financial company. For all of you that don't know, General Electric's most profitable business in the early 90s was capital, was banking, actually. So I didn't even know that till I started. Which is crazy book. when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, because they're, they're built on engineers. They start to have more financial analysts than engineers in their company. That doesn't really make sense. They do aviation engines. They do... They do imaging for CT scans. They, they were the original Apple. Yeah, they were the original Apple. That being said, this book is incredible. It's so far my favorite book. I'm 90 pages in um, two days later. And um, it's about being in the hot seat, front row vision of what it is to be a CEO in one of the greatest companies of all time. Um, he also had to come in right after one of the greatest CEOs considered of all time, Jack Welch. Everyone knows Jack Welch. This man had to lead up to it. He was 16 years there in GE. He was scrutinized because he made decisions on innovation and going back to the roots of GE rather than profit margins and shareholder value. I think that's what's interesting about the book is that at the end of the day, it's a it's a look into a CEO that, that didn't per se have the greatest run from financial perspective, but really pushed the company to turn its, its whole mindset around. It's hard. Um, he went after 
innovation and value for the customer. And, and, and again, that didn't turn into stock price jumping. It actually decreased the stock price. He went down so much. And people often look at a company that they are doing well because their stock prices are flying. That is not the truth. I'm sorry. And if you think that, then then go read the book. I think that's I think very similar to what we go through all the time in making decisions. Like, if anybody cares what I'm reading, okay. No, 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 no. Nothing. Uh, okay, okay. But <laughs> I am watching Sex in the City and I am so into it. I basically spend like right when I get home from work, I hit my bed. Nick's in the other room and all he hears is me cracking up. Because as I get older, the show really, like, I really relate to it, you know, from my single days. Um, yeah, yeah, but it was, it's so good. So I just want to say I'm watching Sex in the City. <laughs> I love that and for you. I'm also being wired up for sleep apnea. 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 Apnea, thank you. And I just want to say a lot of people slid into the DMs last night trying no. to correct the way I say sleep apnea. And the thing is, for anybody who's listening to this who might be following us, I'm saying this here and now. I have trouble pronouncing things. I have had grown up with learning disorders. I have trouble pronouncing things. And sometimes you just got to accept that I'm not going to say the word the way that it is. And that's okay. That's Les's way of saying it. And it's okay to correct someone. But I think, you know, sometimes you got to think about how does that make them feel? Obviously, I know I'm pronouncing the word wrong. And obviously, I am trying to pronounce it correctly. But I don't need a million people telling me how to pronounce it. Like, I'm not perfect. To be fair, if you read the context of what these people were saying, they were actually doing it to be on your back, on like to support you in your corner. I, I What I was reading was they weren't trying to like, they were prefacing the question of being like, because you said you were trying to pronounce the word. So you were kind of like asking indirectly, like what people thought, even though you weren't doing that, that's what it came off as. So they did come in to correct you. And it wasn't from a rude standpoint. No, for sure. But when I when I'm in my therapy sessions with uh, Dr. James Gavin, you know, I pronounce things wrong all the time. And he doesn't correct me because he knows that's just Les. And that's part of the language that I speak. And it's okay. Well, you're a beautiful friggin' creature. Thank and you very much. <laughs> everybody, I, I, I agree with Jake. Uh, I did look read into it, too. I think they were there to help you more than anything. That being said, we appreciate you for you. Thank you very much. Before you get into that, there's, there's a movie I watched yesterday. It's such a class act. Um, Rush Hour 2. I watched the first 15 minutes. Chris Tucker is a legend. That's I a am cult sorry. classic. No, no, it's too good. He he is just so funny. He's on the dance floor at the club in a, in a gang member. Just just pictures. <laughs> they they were going after a gang. He wasn't told that they were going after a gang. I know the exact yeah, scene. He gets on the karaoke machine and he's killing it. Okay, everyone's looking at him like this. If you see me, they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's on fire, moving his hips, shaking. And little does he know that he's in the middle of a gang scene and they're trying to do an investigation. He has zero clue. And then he sees uh, uh, Jackie Chan, right? Yeah, Yeah, Jackie Chan. 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 He sees Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan's like going like this, like cut it, cut it, cut it. And he's like, oh, fuck this guy, man. He put me in an investigation. Now now I got to change and he keeps going. He keeps shaking. I would like to see Chris Tucker come out of hiding. He's been, Unbelievable. he's been out of the scene for a while, and he was one of my favorite growing He's a up. good comedian. But, yeah. da, na, na, okay, we are getting into the show, housekeeping done. Although we, we Could we do a show one time where we just do housekeeping the, the full time? What's housekeeping with you? I mean, Jake and I yeah. mentioned our housekeeping. What's your housekeeping? Uh, honestly, I'm preparing this company for our IPO. Now, as everybody knows, it's the road to the IPO. Uh, doesn't mean we're going to be doing the IPO. I think that's very important for everybody that's listening to know. But I am actively preparing this company to have the possibility to go public uh, 
towards the end of the year, uh, start of 2020. What, what year are we? 2021? So start of end of 2021, early 2022, the infrastructure of the business will be set up to take the company public. Whether we choose hey. to do that or not is a completely different story. But that is taking a ridiculous amount of my energy right now. Basically, I got into it. And we had our meeting with uh, a few of the investment bankers that are potentially going to underwrite this IPO. So what does that mean? They're going to help us go public, buy the stock, stuff like that to, 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 to get the company going. And I got a laundry list of shit that we need to do. And I almost, like, I almost went into deep depression again <laughs> because <laughs> of it. when we were speaking about our Series A, you guys know how hard that was. This is probably like 5x as hard as the Series A investment that we did. So preparing the company financially, all the legal documents, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the difference is, is we're starting nice and early and we have a great team now that's going to be supporting me. Whereas I felt really alone when I did Series A, whereas now I don't feel so alone. So that is my housekeeping. Snaps to the team around you and to what your journey is going to be for the next couple of months. And, uh, and I'm excited because it's the first time any of us have gone through this. So it's, it's all a learning curve. The USA, it's happening. I, I don't know if you feel it. It is happening. United States of America. No, but it's happening. So what I really feel like when I'm on the Instagram and I see like our mentions and I see people with the USA packaging, I freak because it's that initial feeling that I had when we first launched in Canada and we people would post about our product and I'd be like, wow, I don't even know these people and they're posting about our product. And now it's really, I don't know them, right? It's the USA. So it's so cool to see it all starting to come the way it came when we first launched Midday Squares and seeing people like naturally buying it at Jimbo's, naturally buying it at Airwans. Like it's so cool ordering online. Like I cannot believe it's happening, but it is happening. Getting the feedback. Uh, I want to tell both of you two things that I don't think you guys know. In the last 30 days, one third of our online orders went to the US. One third. Yeah, that's that's high. That's high. That's the highest it's ever been. It's rich. <laughs> Jake, how do you feel about the US? I'm super excited. I've been always excited about it. It's um, I just believe the opportunity there is insane. And I see the difference of just n no shade on Canada. I love Canada. It's our backyard. This is our OG. This is the this is where the jiggle happens. But what I've noticed of just doing a lot of work for the U.S. is that they have a lot more options. They have a lot more options of services, of, of things to do, of different types of locations, of different distribution. And it's not just monopolized by by three massive retailers here in Canada. It's, it's not. It's broken in a lot of different things. So we actually have a lot better chance, actually, in my opinion, of succeeding there. Even though there's more competition, there's more people in the field, if we continue to be ourselves, we have it's endless. The ceiling, it, there's no ceiling, it's a sky. And I think that that's the cool thing about the US. Forget about the great customers we're getting there and all the amazing things that are happening. I think that when we start optimizing the opportunities out there, it's going to fly. Canada's great, like I said, different amount of opportunity here. Again, we're 30, we're 30 million, 35 million people here, 370 million there. Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger of a landscape. So I think like, you know, our initial takeoff, we were delayed almost three months. Still delayed. So we shipped our first USA retail order. Um, what was it? Two weeks ago or three weeks ago? Which, which, which for me was crazy. Yeah, crazy. Because the fact that we got it out the door. I was a bit insecure about it though, a little bit because, um, there was sprinkles all over the U.S. And when you have sprinkles all over a country, 
you don't you're bl- you're a little bit blind. And what does sprinkles mean for the audience? Sprinkles means that we we were taking distribution points in different regions across the U.S. So some in the Northeast, some in the in the South Pacific, some in the Midwest, and that's scary because you're everywhere but nowhere. You're everywhere but nowhere. But in Canada, we went city by city. Yeah. yeah. Big difference. And then we went national once we were comfortable. Once we had brand presence. Yes. We're about to go national in the U.S. on a certain account. I'm not going to say they count, but we're about and we're, I'm grateful that we have that opportunity. But do you know how much prep work's going into from now just till there to start setting up the infrastructure on our team from a both marketing trial and even other distribution? Okay, so I want to get into this because this is really important. I think this is huge value add for everybody that's thinking tactically. So, Jake... Tell us the retail setup that we're getting structured. Then I'll get into how I'm supplementing that with influencers. And we're just going to round table of what's kind of going on in that area. Yeah. Well, for us, original plan was for the U.S. is touch, sprinkle a little bit, a little bit, just to see which areas are hot spots. But focus on our hypothesis was Southern California and Texas. Those are massive. If you look at Texas's GDP alone, it is almost the size of the Canadian GDP. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. So we were going to focus on Austin region and Los Angeles. Focus on building the brand like we did in Montreal and Toronto here for all of you Canadians that know we put a lot of effort into activities, building brand exposure, experiential marketing, getting people to feel what Midday Squares is really about. Which I about. think we would still be doing if COVID wasn't like we would. It, yeah. Our plan would have launch plan would have been a little bit different, but COVID oh, for is sure. still, you know, a, a but pandemic. It's, happening. it's here and it's real. So. It's real. Yeah, yeah exactly. and it's happening. Yeah, it so happening. we are trying to cre- come up with more creative, which is a lot more work, which we are doing. But the plan is open doors in the natural space in those two regions specifically, which we have a little bit of a delay, which scares me a little bit, and then open other doors that sprinkle just to see different hot spots. So if we want to touch a little bit in Boston, we're going to see if Boston picks up, we're going to send our marketing to go to Boston and start banging out there. Which comes to the 80-20 rule, which I think is super important, is as we're trying to take over a massive land space, it's very similar to online marketing. You try channels, then based on the response that you get in those channels, you deviate budgets towards there. And so our hypothesis is Austin and LA, but don't be fooled if friggin' sorry, sorry, uh, did I say Boston? Austin. I meant Austin and LA. But if Boston starts to fly or any other state starts to fly, our energies double down there yeah. right away. And that's why we sprinkled across which opened small distribution in different regions across the US to understand which depth which area could be a hotspot and which one like our hypothesis focused on on two hotspots that we think it is but we may be wrong like you said I think I agree I think that is a great strategy when you're attacking a a um a country and you're not fully aware of what the market is or where your market is or where your customer is even though we have hypothesis I mean we have a good idea on data I well, want to make do. it sound like we're not just taking our finger and yeah. putting nope, it in the air We're not but part of that is we our hypothesis was LA and Austin yep. right So now like Jake said is we are still running AB testing by sprinkling by putting you know one or two things here one or two things there and just seeing where it takes off. But most of our energy and marketing uh, efforts are going to LA and Austin. Two things to add. Um, when you're when you're opening a new country, you got, especially with a lot of opportunity, like I discussed previous, the USA has a lot of opportunity. You got to block out the noise, guys. Oh um, my God. You know, just from being in the retail game with Michelle and our team that we're building out, which we should get into, um, 
you know, we get we get opportunities swung at us. Oh, I heard you here. So, you know, something like maybe like a big retail, like Target, it's so attractive. It's so attractive. So attractive. You want to just do it. But if you don't have the brand awareness, how could you do a, multi, a national launch like that with the biggest retailers in the world? Shock, we've been denying Costco for two and a half years. And shout with out to them. Love. With, with love. With love. No, they're, love. Until we find the right thing for them. But again, but it, but block that, the noise. Exactly. But it's so important because we want to f- succeed at Costco, right? We don't want to set ourselves up to fail. And Correct. I think that's what's amazing. It's a waste of everybody's time. So, exactly. And, and then also dealing with like, Here's a big thing. When you're about to launch a new country, and this is what I learned in the last three months for about this new U.S. expansion, is there's reviews, okay? Yep. If you don't hit these review times for your category, so you better have someone looking into all those reviews and putting them on a piece of paper, even on a bulletin board. Even a year before you're ready to launch. We didn't do that. That's our lesson learned. And we we missed, we got a delay. Um, So here's the thing. Put Put every retail you want to be in. So every natural, if you're going after the naturalists, put the big ones, Whole Foods, Sprouts, um, Wegmans. You know, Wegmans, you got you got all these retailers. Put them all on a list and find out when your review is. Find out when your category review is and make sure it's written down on a date so you're prepared to know from a forecasting model. Can you explain when you come what the Wait, I do. Is. I, I want to say something on this aspect. Is, oh, yeah. So, and I'll get into it. The review is basically the buyer um, when they're cr- bringing in new products, each category, each category has a buyer and they kind of, instead of sprinkling in products over the year, they want to do an entire reset one shot. So it streamlines the paperwork, it streamlines the launches. It just makes the work easier for them. And so they review products, for instance, refrigerated snacking at a specific time. Mm. Now to make it really easy for every, like what I want you to think about is put To Jake's point, if you're looking to launch Whole Foods, let's say in September 2021, back up, I would say about 18 months. Yeah. 18 months prior is when you need to start to make the date that you're looking to get into. And if you've missed that 18 months, like I would suggest planning way into the future of when you're going to get there because you're going to set yourself up for failure on your plan if you miss that 18 month window. That's our big learning. Yeah, no, and I think also just um, you know understanding why why big retailers do that, or, or actually retailers generally, is because I get it. It's a, it's a double edged sword for them. The paperwork and all that stuff that with the planogram, they have twenty five thousand plus SKUs. You have to imagine this to just move things is not so easy. So what they got to do is do it all at once. And I know it's sometimes, you know, you're as a brand, you're so excited, you're so fired up to get in and you push. Don't stop pushing because there is upcycle cut-ins, which if you could really get the buyer excited about your product somehow, then go ahead and- Good on you. Good on you. And you could potentially cut in. And and that means an upcycle cut-in is when you get in off cycle, meaning that you can get in before their actual review. And we have some buyer friends who are incredible humans and they've given us insight on the back end of being, being a buyer and made us understand why it's so much work to do an upcycle cut. So you really got to make them feel something inside to want to go out of their way, put themselves out there, risk and put your product in. So that being said, it sucks because a lot of brands miss opportunities on trends and on on waves. If you can't get into the retailer, you miss that trend, which sucks. However, goes back to being being a, a product market fit that just doesn't go on waves and just going up like that. So I think it, what does up like that mean? Just means something that's sustainable for the future. Yes. in the sense of just building. Like we're in chocolate. We chose chocolate, right? And chocolate is a global industry that's bigger. Is it bigger than dairy? Oh yeah, it's bigger than it's 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 the number one international, not even just in North America, number one snacking item. So I was campaigning this morning in a conversation with thirty people. Out of the thirty people, I asked to raise your hand. How many love chocolate? Before they even knew what I was, what we did, 
I think it was 92% raised their hand. Think about that. No, it's everybody. Yeah. So, so we chose a category where it's sustainably going to grow. And we didn't just choose something like keto, for example, in yeah. my opinion. Well, that's the thing. When you're when you're building a product on a trend, you can't miss those. You, can't, you have to hit them. Those reviews. You're finished. Right. Because you're building something. And it's okay to do that. Maybe you're looking for a quick one, buck. two or a quick, quick buck. A quick buck. Um, but basically, if you're, if you're t- building a product that is trending, then you want to make sure that you you hit it. What I will say about trending, and so uh, it's not to shit on trending because you can actually, using a trend is the best way to get in out of cycle. For sure. Because mm-hmm. I, I've seen it. Like buyers see momentum. A, fl- a momentum and they're willing to make moves out of cycle. So don't, don't, don't be discouraged because if you're on trend, usually you can get in out of cycle if you really have a strong product. More importantly, before we move on, not more importantly, but just in general, before we move on, I want to give a bullet point kind of structure of how you've seen our sales team need to evolve in the U.S. So we started with just a broker for everybody. A broker is a distributed sales team that you pay on a percentage of sales. They're not actually part of your team, um, but they, you know, they're an extension of your team. We started with just that, and we quickly realized that we needed a, a, a strategy to support that. So quickly, Jay, could you give us the strategy that you've come up with and why? Well, shout out to Michelle, our VP of retail. She's she's it's her it's her department. Uh, so she, her and I have been working very closely, and we realized that we 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 were we were we were spread thin. We couldn't operate with our current team. Like how thin? Like Nutella thin? Or? Like more more thin than Nutella. So like yeah, yeah. Uh, Nutella's more, never thin. Bessel, Bessel butter thin. Okay? <laughs> okay, for anyone that doesn't know Bessel butter, go check it out in the grocery store. It tastes yeah. unbelievable. Bessel butter huge. No, but fun fact about Bessels, it's the probably largest. Bessel. Yeah, no, but in every city and country. So Bessel is um, country croc in the U.S. Same company. I had no idea. Yeah, so they they basically sell the same exact product over and over and over with different names for different markets. In our market, it's Bessel. Sustainability, guys. All the way to the future. Butter on bread. <laughs> anyway, so as thin as butter, Bessel butter. We had an issue because we realized that that sprinkle that we were just talking about before and the focus growth, we can't just do it, the, the three of us here in Canada. And it was just too whack because you have brokers. They do a great job. Shout out Greenspoon for doing a great job um, on our US launch. But again, they have 60 brands. They have other brands where they focus on, you know, building all the brands, which I get. It's their business. Our core business is- Could I add in a fun hack? Yeah. If you're going to go with a broker, really try to get the broker to invest in your company. They need to put money into your company so they have skin in the game. That is a hack that I think is not spoken about enough. If you really want your broker to give a fuck, make sure they have skin in your game. So then after the broker, that was step one. Step two is if you're getting momentum and you have some sort of you know idea of projecting a momentum at least, go hire someone that will be an account manager. And this is where we're hiring the West account manager. We're focusing on West, like we said, not the sprinkle focused on Southern California and Texas, they're going to focus on building those relationships. So really supporting both the the Greenspoon, which is our our broker, but also opening new accounts and being our heartbeat there. Because if you don't have that heartbeat- Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground, but not, they're going there to build relationships and help our VP here on the overall arcing thing. So you got the VP at the overall arc, but this sales account manager is focused on specifically the accounts that we're believing as our hypothesis says to grow those accounts. The golden goose eggs. Number two, number three, how do you expect to grow in those accounts? 
So you open 100 doors. How do you grow in those accounts? Uh, preach Ex- the good exper- word. Experiential marketing. Experiential. Babe, I love you. Thank Exper- you. I love you so hard. <laughs> I'm not going to correct her. Experiential marketing. Um, that's one. Yeah. Number two is the marketing, which is not going to be on my talk. You guys will talk about this. But experiential marketing is super important. Trial. Companies like Kind, companies like Cliff, they built their businesses on trial. That, if you're not going to uh, do good, trial. Good. Um, uh, the, what's his name? Good to go. Oh, Made Good, babe. Made Good, yes. Love him. Nima, uh, Nima. Nima, he's obsessed with him. Shout yeah. out to founder Trial. of Made Good He's on your, all of Air Canada's flight. And he's a manufacturer too. Shout out to Nima because he's a legend. Um, no, but if you don't get Trial, how do you expect people to, other than brand, okay, premium of brand, understanding the brand feeling, which that's what we're going to get into next. But how do you expect them to want to commit to your bar now when they've already tried the other ones, they like the other ones. I think it's the most important piece that's forgot about in the food industry is we are selling shit that goes in people's mouths. Better taste fucking good. I don't know if it's forgotten. Oh, yes. Is it? So many companies do not prioritize what the experience is in the mouth. And I'm not just saying, it's one thing to show up and have people trial your product. And I know we forget it sometimes too when I'm like, when I'm putting together my ads, I forget we're selling food. Yeah. Some ads I just got to make look delicious, make you want to put it in your mouth. Yeah. That's it. And so trial, I know, yes, people show up and do it. But what I mean by it's forgotten is that, okay, great. If you have a shitty tasting product, you show up for trial. What's really going to happen? And, and trial is very expensive. You need to budget correctly for trial. I remember oh, when we were doing our God. demos. They were $15,000 a month. Oh, just just wait for the U.S., babe. It's yeah. we're, we're we're so so that was the that was the next. Hire. Could you, without mentioning the big company's name, talk about how much they spent in one year on on trial? Seventy million dollars. Yep. Wow. Seventy but million. It was the core. Say, it was the core. Yeah, we're not saying their name, but they successfully did. They were one of the best at it. I I think I just puked in my mouth. No, but babe, but like <laughs> but, but, but babe, million after dollars. I'll tell you what they did in sales that year. So the my thing is is that probably over six hundred, no? Yeah, seven fifty, I think. Woo! Woo! So so just do do yourself a favor. If you don't have that pillar of the business and you decide to skip it, you decide, oh, we'll get to it later, we'll get to it later. It is a crucial part of your sales team, not your marketing team. It is I sales. Agree. How do you expect to support the, these massive grocers? Yes, digital's one way, and that's great. You gotta do it. But if you don't have trial, your, your product's sitting on a shelf next to 25,000 different products. They better motherfucking like your taste if they want to come back. I'm getting anxiety right now. And <laughs> no, here's, no, no not don't. over the trial. I'm getting anxiety because I'm getting anxious to say what it's, what's been on my mind this whole fucking conversation. I am fed up of people telling me that influencer marketing is dead. Uh, that is people who say uh, that. Uh, what what bar are they hanging out at? Yeah. No, you know what it is? They don't like... They, there's a stigma on influencers, which is just false, in my opinion. Like people who have stigma on influencers live in the past. Guys. They live in the past. They live in the past. I need to preach. Go. There's there's too much pent. Pre- pre- preach. I'm, I'm pent up right now. Pent up. So so pent up demand. Feed the geese. Feed the geese. So okay, at the end of the day, influencer marketing is not dead. It's really not dead. What's happened though? Yes, if you compare influencer marketing to five years ago. I can understand why you think it's dead because five years ago, it was so fucking easy that all you had to do was throw your rod in the lake. Okay. And 15 fish would hook onto your, onto your rod. Influencer marketing is alive and well. And so if, if we're going to give the analogy, 
Influencer marketing maybe five years ago was at the stage of a human when they're like two to three years old. Maybe we're at the stage of this market being we're like nine years old. We're not even in the teenage years yet, but it's gotten harder. You as a brand actually have to do work. Exactly. And I think at really good influencers is like the shopping channel. They know how they are the new age shopping yes, channel. Hot. They know how to give their customers what they need, how to sell to their customers. And people who say, oh, well, it's annoying because they're pitching product all day. Unfollow them. That is the new age shopping channel. That is what their job is to do research on products and give their customers good products. Could I get into to how to help our audience actually win 100%. in influencer marketing? Okay. So here's where it's at. Number one, your product can't be shit anymore. That So actually five years ago, your product, you were able to get away with shit products and doing some influencer marketing and it would work. So your product can't be shit is number one. Number two, your social game needs to be strong. So influencers are no longer willing to work really with Me Too brands and brands that don't themselves have a strong following or strong presence or identity. So that already makes the barrier to entry 10x harder than it was five years ago because now you need to get your shit together. Number three is that in order to capitalize on your influencer partnerships, you need to be running other stuff. So what do I mean by that? Your retargeting needs to be built on Facebook. Your retargeting needs to be built on Google and your email captures. When people come to your website, how you're capturing their emails and speaking to them after the fact needs to be crystal clear. Because if you're not set up to capture the power of your influencer partnership, you're fucked mm -hmm. because now you're competing with people that are doing that. And so when you're sitting there saying, hey, um, influencer marketing is not working for me. I want you to ask yourself, is it working, not working for you because of them or because of you? And if you go to your site and realize, oh my God, I'm not set up to capture the demand that the influencers are sending to me. The page that the influencers are sending to are not set up for customization to really welcome their guest. Meaning if you're working with Jenny and fucking Jenny's sending you customers, you better be ready to give Jenny's people a great experience when they come to your page. You can't just send them to a fucking page in the middle of the fucking ocean. Well, you could do all you could do none of this stuff and you might get results, but most likely you won't. And that's how you end up in the boat of, oh, influencer marketing doesn't work. Right. You, like you said, you have to put in the work. I think what's really key is some influencers. It's also a trial and error. The same way we we're talking about launching the U.S. is some influencers will work great for you and some influencers won't. And I think it's, it's also about trial and error. But best believe it, the brand needs to put in the work. And I think you hit something home for me, which is now more than anything. Thing. Consumers, influencers, retailers, buyers are looking for brands that 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 stand for something, looking for brands that have meaning. Like you said, Me Too products are no longer at the top of people's priority list. People want to know what they are pitching, you know, so it, 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 it is really heavily on the brand as well to do their job, like you were saying. Which a lot of them don't do, unfortunately. And then something to add is. Don't expect, I'm sorry, if you're going to choose influencers for the sake of numbers and, and, and you think that's the right move, you're so off and you need to, you need to do some Googling you or research. check yourself. Yeah, check yourself because then they like, why would someone that's special- buy followers. Well, yeah, you could. Yeah. You could buy likes. I'm not going to lie, guys. Comments. I used to do pranks. Listen to this. I used to buy people followers because no. you were allowed to buy others, but then they would know that people like 
if someone that's a great prank hello i used to buy people twenty thousand followers their account account (laughs) would jump yeah yeah their account would jump from like a (laughs) thousand to twenty one thousand then they would be like oh shit how do you get rid of it you can't get rid of it sorry to you if you instagram if the person's listen i love you to death you know i do um wow that's funny but more importantly so you can't expect like a someone to sell uh, that 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 typically's interest is is e-gaming let's just say to sell uh you know T-shirts that have to do with basketball. There might not be that commonality. So choose your people right that actually represent your brand identity and your guests are similar. Because at the end of the day, like if you're going to target the opposite and for trial, no problem. That's cool. You could try it. But if you know that your customer is this, focus on where your customers would be on someone else's platform. I actually have a trick for this. Go ahead. And this is really, this is really important because... So I was on a mastermind last night. So what a mastermind is, is basically a group of e-commerce owners. We get together, we talk about problems we're having and how to solve them and and just help each other. Really, that's what a mastermind is. And somebody was talking on there saying that they can't scale their influencer marketing. And I was just, I was dumbfounded by that. I couldn't understand. What do you mean you can't scale? And I understood, again, where he was coming from. And here's what I want. I want to basically help you all with the same way that I helped him last night, which is one, the game is harder. So I want to keep on reemphasizing that. You cannot just spray and pray. There's a lot of work. So here's how we do it here at Midday Squares. One is picture um, picture relationships are over. So any, any type feed of post. feed post. Yeah, picture feed posts are over. It's all about the stories. When you're looking for your partner, you want to basically create a fake account and just follow people that you want to engage with and watch them for a week. If the person you want to work with doesn't spend 90% of their time in their story feeds, you probably want to nix them from working with them. Number two, while you're watching their stories in a day, If they are not making minimum three product recommendations, you probably want to nix them. And here's why. Is the partner that you're choosing to help you sell product has to have an audience that's been trained already to watch them like the shopping channel where they are going through their day. And as they're going through their day, they're making product recommendations. Those ROIs that we are seeing, so the return on investment of working with those types of partners are mind-boggling. So for instance, on a $1,500 campaign, we've seen with some of those partnerships, $15,000 returns. In one day. In one day. Without lifetime value. Without lifetime value. So imagine without any of the extra juice. Then what you could do is there's a company called Grin.co. We've spoken about them on the show. This is not sponsored. We don't get paid from them. You can then take the influencers that are working or the partners that are really working for you and go find lookalikes. You literally put in their handle and it gives you a list of people they deem to probably be the same as those types of partners. But Grin is an, is an investment. Is an investment. Yeah. But there's other tools out there that could possibly do it. I'm, I'm saying get creative with it. Well, if you want to do it for free, right? You do what you do. You saw, you make a fake account and you you do the due diligence yourself. You right? still have to do it with Grin, though. Even if yeah. you, you find their lookalike audience, this is the part where the laziness comes in that I see other other founders make is they don't, So they look at an influencer, they think it's good, but they don't scope them out. 
Right. They don't spend the weeks watching them. How do people comment on their stuff? How do they interact? And another tip is when you follow these influencers, Instagram sometimes recommends um, on a drop down other similar accounts. So don't just follow. Go look at those accounts, see if they're correct. And even the influencer usually follows just a couple of people, maybe a few, like four or five hundred people. Go and see who they follow. Mm. I, I have a really cool analogy I just came up with that relates the whole show together. So influencer marketing is exactly like choosing a broker for sales. It's the exact same thing because why do you choose a broker? Because their relationship with all the retailers are there. So you choose them, you pay them to go get you the accounts to sell the product to the account. It's the same thing. Same thing. I'm not going to choose a, a broker that's doing all the clothing stores. Because we're a food business. So that's a different type of influencer. So choose the one that's in the food business. And if you really want to get creative, which we have, you didn't talk about the creativity of choosing other influencers from different sectors of oh, trying I was just about to. I was just about to get to that because we have enough to get into that. But it's the same thing as the, as, no, go out now and find a food service broker. Oh. So it's even more specific, but you have to think backwards. And that's what the comparison of, you know, opening up retail is to influencers, in my opinion. Oh, uh, 1 million percent is work backwards. Speak to people that are interacting with, um, you know, brands and ask them, well, who are you discovering your products from? That's another good way to find it. Same way, if you want to get into a coffee shop, go to the coffee shop and ask them where they're getting their food from. Where, you know, who's the distributor? Who's the broker? Who's selling into it? And reach out to those people. But at the end, another thing I want to say is like everybody I speak with thinks that influencer marketing or partnerships only happens on Instagram and Facebook. That is the biggest falsehood I've ever heard in my life. Number one, you have Twitter, you have LinkedIn, you Pinterest. have you have Pinterest, you have TikTok. People that aren't even on social platforms. Talk about a relationship. This is the last one we'll get on, a relationship we made in LA that has nothing to do with any of the social platforms. That is a partnership that is as strong as an influencer. They're a different style influencer. Yes. So I met some fellows, strangers, I like to call them at first, that you should never be shy to meet strangers. Go out there. They teach you as kids, don't speak to strangers. I think as you become an adult, you should speak to strangers. Oh, yeah. And, and the magic's made usually once you give it an open-minded chance. So I met these two people and they're super awesome individuals. And they're, like you said, a different type of influencer. So these people are, we partnered with them now because they're helping us expand the brand on the ground. So they're doing stuff that's not digital work. They're not doing the digital push. They're doing the physical, the handouts, the seeding of the product, the getting the relationships built with, with, with people on the ground there. So gyms, retailers, everyone, they are solely doing a word to mouth for us. Forget about everything else. So they're a different style. You have to imagine this. You're not going to get your return right away. But we got into the Grammys from one of them. We've got into other things. And if you just We're in celebrities' fridges because of them? Yes. And all these things make a difference. But also we got into Fox News because of one of them. Fox, I think it was Milwaukee Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee Fox. We, we, we found ourselves on there. But that's because when you have a different style relationship, it comes back to all the things we say about customers. People go to a dinner table and they share what they went through. You could build those relationships at a greater level, not I just a dinner table. I don't know how broken of of a telephone we have to sound like. It is broken record, not broken telephone. It There's 5,000 people in fucking the US that matter. I don't know who those 5,000 are per se in name, 
But 5,000 people set the tone for 368 million people. If you are still focusing on 368 million people, I need you to go fucking home, get in the shower, and think deeply about what you're doing because you're going after way too big of a pie. It takes 5,000 people to convince the entire United States that your product is worthy of their mouths. On a final note, does anybody have anything left to say? No, I think that we we distilled a lot in this podcast and I loved it. I think there's a lot of added value. I think at the end of the day, again, you know, put out great products, build a strong brand, build a great presence and put in the work. Don't be lazy. Put in the work. It's easier to say something doesn't work than actually ask yourself why it's not working five times. And don't wait to hire like like I said, we spread it thin and we we're hiring actively right now um, very quickly to make sure that we do reach what we believe we could reach. Offense all day. That's the Midday Squares way. Three, two, one. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Midday Squares uncensored. That was probably one of my favorite shows in go out and get shit done type of way. Uh, We'll see you next week. Go out and kill it. Mm -hmm.